I don't know. It's just it but like if you're not the aces, like what are you gonna be like the bail bonds? Like what's your next best option? Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that's banned from all three legs of the Triple Crown. I'm David Arroyo, joined as always by my partner Tom Shively. Tom, we're back another week. You know what it is. How you doing? I mean, there's corruption in horse racing. What are we doing, man? I, it was the last pure thing we had left in this earth, man. I'm just, no, it's, <laughs> that story is just so funny to me that the horse wins and then, ah, PEDs. You hate to see it, but you know, just, it's just cancel culture coming again. What's next, Tom? You're going to tell me that cycling isn't clean, that Lance Armstrong, you know, all those years was doping and didn't win those races fairly. I mean, uh, what does America come to? There's a rumor that wrestling isn't real, too. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far, but... Listen, if you tell me all those RKOs are scripted, then I I just... It might just be time to throw the whole idea of sports out the window. I just... I don't know what I would do with myself. (laughs) Well, Tom, another crazy week in the sports sports world, and we'll start in the world of the NBA, specifically the NBA play-in tournament. So there's been a lot of discussion going on around the NBA play-in tournament, and that was after LeBron James last week as his team began to slip closer and closer to that play-in threshold. He came out and said that, quote, whoever came up with this expletive needs to be fired. So Obviously, voicing his displeasure at the playing tournament, of course, now that his team is in position where he has to potentially play in the playing tournament, the other man this season who's voiced displeasure with it was, of course, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, who had similar comments earlier in the season when the Dallas Mavericks looked like they might have to play in the playing tournament. So, Tom, we'll start with the playing tournament. What do you think about the playing? Like, do you like the playing tournament? Do we not like the playing tournament? What are your thoughts? Uh, it's very rare to me that expanded playoffs are ever a bad thing, and 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 I think I think there is some truth to the argument that the first round of the NBA playoffs can kind of be a drag uh, when you've got you know like you've got last year you think about the Nets Raptors series like the Magic making the playoffs teams like that like all right what are they really doing in the playoffs but anytime you can get a one game like one off high stakes playoff game. When does that make it worse? I remember like the wild card game comes to like recent example for me in terms of playoff expansion that like people kind of hated when it started, but those have been some of the best playoff games like of recent memory. And I I like the fact to give more teams and I got to go in on LeBron real quick because again, you kind of mentioned it with Cuban, but they only seem to have beef with the playing tournament when they are going to be in it. And it's like, it's got to work both ways. LeBron in March of 2020 said, so we got Portland, we got Memphis, we got New Orleans. It's kind of tinkering and Sacramento tinkering around there. If there's five or 10 games left, why not let those guys battle it out? How about just make them play each other all five? If you're going to make the playoffs, why not play against the team in front of you or behind you to see who makes it? I ask you, LeBron James, what changed this year? What changed this year? I don't know. Oh, we're not as good this year. Oh, somebody else in the West is better. Uh, maybe I didn't like that idea that much. I'm LeBron James. I'll just fix the play and turn him. I'll be fine. I think he's frustrated that he doesn't have a say in this, that he can't just LeBron his way out of the play. Yeah, it, it's one of the like rare instances, like just from the LeBron angle, it's one of the rare instances in his entire career where he can't just kind of snap his fingers and then it's fixed for him because he's been such a powerful figure in the league for the last 15 years that 
you know, basically anything he has said that he wants, he's gotten, you know, literally coaches, players, not really rule changes, because I don't really remember a lot of rule changes that have come about because LeBron has like spoken them into existence. But virtually everything he's wanted as a player, he's gotten player empowerment. That's all been him. And so now he's in this position where he's going to have to play in something that he really doesn't want to play in because he thinks his team is exponentially better than they are. But because him and Anthony Davis got hurt, they're now going to have to play in this play in tournament. Now, in terms of the play in tournament itself, in terms of what he said, where like that person needs to be fired. That person's probably going to get a promotion if you get both the Celtics and the Lakers in the play-in tournament because those ratings are going to be through the roof, first of all. But also, it has accomplished exactly what you wanted it to accomplish, which is to discourage teams from tanking because if they have an, more of an incentive to make the playoffs, they might make more of those moves at the deadline that can push them toward the playoffs as opposed to just selling off assets and tanking. Because think about this year, right? Who were the teams who were actively tanking? It was the Rockets. It was the Thunder who, for the record, aren't even the worst. Like, there's a team worse than them in the West who wasn't even trying to tank. So it was the Rockets. It was the Thunder. It was maybe the Pistons, but they sent a bun- They spent a bunch of money on Jeremy Grant this offseason, so I don't know if you can really argue that. The Cavs, 100% were tanking, and the Magic. So what, there's five teams maybe that were tanking where, you know, you had the Bulls making moves at the trade deadline to try and be a playoff team. You had the Raptors doing some shuffling around to maybe try and, you know, it looked like they were selling off assets, but, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs now. So it's, it's an interesting scenario there with the Raptors. But you had more teams this year who were interested and who stayed engaged longer. You kept more small market fans engaged throughout the regular season because, you know, in a normal year, the 30 and 47 New Orleans Pelican fans would not care at all at this point in the season because they're in 11th place, no chance to make the playoffs. But in 11th place, two games back from the 10 seed, you know, they now have a chance. They have something to root for. And it, it keeps fans and markets of teams who are pretty mediocre engaged longer during the season. And to me, that's a win. If you can keep fans engaged longer and keep them tuning into your product, that's a win. And you're going to get, like you said, these super high stakes, winning you go home events in the playoffs. With superstars and big teams, LeBron James is probably going to be in the play-in tournament. Steph Curry is going to be in the play-in tournament. Ja Morant, Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, LaMelo Ball, the Boston Celtics. These are all big brands that are going to be in the play-in tournament, and that's great for basketball if you ask me. Because I think when you're looking at like what makes the NFL playoffs so captivating is the fact that every game is a one-off. Every game is single elimination. And you know, baseball, hockey, basketball, none of them had any of that until a few years ago when they started the wildcard game. And baseball, I, I get the frustration with, oh, you put 162 games and you're going to do one play-in game. So I, like maybe there's a little bit of an argument there. But at the end of the day, just be better in the regular season. It's not like the best team in the league has to go to the wild card game. So, if anything, it incentivizes the regular season more in the NBA, which there's been a huge issue of that in the past. You know, ratings have been tanking and, and maybe are dipping up a little bit this year, but that's been well publicized that they're trying to get people to care more about the regular season. Obviously, you know, like they've been doing the huge pushes on Christmas, they've been trying to do more TNT games, stuff like that. But 
this is one of those like, oh, suddenly Celtics who, you know, you're probably not watching if you're a Celtics fan. Like whatever happens the last four game of the seasons, they'll be like six or seven. Okay, suddenly that's like, oh, all right. They need to shape up to get the sixth seed and not have to play in the play because suddenly, boom, two games and you're eliminated. I like the way they did it too because I think a lot of times single elimination tends to be more cut and dry. And I think this does a good job of of giving advantages to the higher teams. I think it's a fair way to kind of still reward the regular season performance more so than like, I keep drawing on baseball, but the wild card game, one team could finish like 11 games below the other and still just have to beat them once. Whereas like if you're ninth or 10th, you got to win two. Or if you're seven or eight, you at least have a chance to kind of play a second game to get into the playoffs. And I really like the way they did. I think it's a really cool system. Well, and two, I also think it, you're going to end up getting better, some better matchups in the first round than I think you, you maybe would normally get like, like think about think about a normal year in the NBA, right? The narrative around I'm just gonna use LeBron as the example again. The narrative around him for so long was we'll just get him in the playoffs and he'll be able to will you to the NBA finals or your conference finals because of his talent alone. I think adding the play in tournament makes it a lot more interesting because it's now not just you know, make the playoffs and you're in. It's LeBron James is going to have to play one, maybe two games before the full playoffs. And what does that do to your team in terms of fatigue wise? And if you want, like, like you said, it emphasizes the regular season because you now gain something being a one seed or a two seed because you're playing a team now who has even less rest than every other team. So you're going to come in there even fresher than those other teams that you're about to play. You're going to potentially get an easier matchup because of it. And I, I just think it's, it's a good way to incentivize teams to one care more about the regular season, but two, just be more active beyond the trade deadline. Because I think in a normal year, you know, e- even this year, even there's, you know, a handful of teams who can win the NBA championship. But I think because there's still something to play for in the play in tournament, more teams stayed engaged longer. And that's never a bad thing. Like the Warriors were dead to rights until Steph Curry, you know, just went on a rampage this last month. And now they're sitting pretty in the eighth seed, just got to win one game instead of two when they were the 10 seed. And I, I think, you know, getting all as many stars into ba- the playoffs as possible is a good thing when you have the number of stars the NBA currently has, because they have a ton. They have so many guys people want to watch on a night to night basis. I, I think to, I think a perfect example of why it's good is the Wizards this year, because they would not have finished anywhere near eighth place. And actually, they might be closing in, but you get they're the point. They're, they're probably missing out on the top eight seeds. So they're probably missing out on the top eight. But the Wizards are, are one of the eight best teams in the East right now. And it's hard to say otherwise. And I think with this playoff structure, you're more likely to get the eight teams that are playing the best basketball at that time and the most competitive series. You look at a team like Portland last year, where like if that was the Memphis Grizzlies that made the playoffs instead, they it's not as interesting. You know, Portland was playing really well down the stretch. Granted, they they won game one against the Lakers, and it was like okay, there's intrigue. We won't talk about the other four, but you know they did. They created that. Oh, this is LeBron's team, and boom, they lose game one. Like that suddenly makes a first round series very interesting when it wouldn't have been in years past. And I think that's kind of what the NBA is trying to channel because. I'm going to tune in to see what Westbrook and Beal could could do against the Sixers or could do against the Nets. Like that that's interesting to me cuz they're playing so well right now. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. you know, the Again, the more stars you can get into the playoffs when you're such a star-driven league, that's not a bad thing. And it, it just incentivizes teams to to continue to care longer and to make these these pushes that I think a lot of teams in years past would. Now, there's the separate question of should a team that is, you know, in the case of, let's just use San Antonio as an example, they're the only team right now in position on the West side because the East is a mess. They're the only team in the West who is below 500 with a chance to make the playoffs. Now, that's a separate issue that I think you know could be discussed, and maybe you can tweak the format a little bit to disincentivize that. But at the same time, the Hornets, Wizards, and Pacers are all below 500 in the East, and they all have a shot to make the playoffs now. It's just it's kind of just the nature of choosing the teams they chose but uh, again i think the play-in tournament all in all has been a great thing and i'm sure we're going to get great games out of it somebody every year in the nfl seems like it's under 500 and those playoff games are always very interesting so i don't care they never like they never win the championship so i don't i think it's kind of a moot point unless they make a deep run which i'm not going to believe in the nba until i see it I think that's what I don't like about it is people are talking about this like like the the te- the only team this year who is in the play in tournament or potentially going to be in the play in tournament that we actually think can make a deep run is the Lakers. And it's literally just because they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and they've been hurt for, you know, a quarter of the season. So, uh, I think this idea that you're keeping out teams who otherwise would have this great shot to win an NBA title. Like, it's just not true. The teams that aren't going to make the playoffs this year had no shot to win the NBA championship anyway. So what's, who cares? Who cares if they're not in the playoffs? It's just another fun thing for these fan bases because otherwise these fan bases would have already tuned out and that just hurts your ratings even more. All right, Tom, let's move on to the MVP debate. So there has been... Newfound discussion around the MVP debate, mostly because of some of the bigger media outlets, you know, think ESPN, Fox Sports, those are the two I've kind of noticed, beginning to discuss the legitimacy of a Chris Paul MVP. Now, the Suns, of course, second in the West, they're a game and a half back. There was a moment there where it looked like they were going to get the one seed in the West. Now it looks like they're probably not going to, but Chris Paul has been part of the resurgence there in Phoenix. And the big discussion is around him and Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic has, you know, is on pace to have one of the greatest offensive seasons we've ever seen from a player. His offensive efficiency rating is like 50 or something like that, which is just absurdly good. So the debate has kind of become, you know, how do we reward the MVP? It seems like there are people strongly in the Nikola Jokic camp, but Tom, I need to know where you stand on the NBA MVP. I've uh, I, I've been a Chris Paul defender since day one. I, uh, I need I, to say, we were first on the Chris Paul for MVP thing. You were the first one I ever heard say Chris Paul should get consideration for MVP, and we were on that train early. He should have, and I'm glad that he finally is. I was also tossing around James Harden in that same... Uh, in that same conversation, which that take is aging well too. I'm going to say he's not going to win the MVP, but the KD Kyrie nets are looking a little dicey. So do that what you will. That being said, MVP is always hard because I feel like everybody has a different 
judgment of what value is. You know, like we were talking before the show, some guys are driven more by like numbers and advanced analytics and you know they they can win shares however you want to however you want to divvy it up you know like plus minus stuff like that to determine value whereas somebody like chris paul dave you brought this up is maybe more of the off-court you know leadership aspect of it that can't be quantified by by the stats i think Jokic has been the best player this year and a lot of times we just give the mvp to it feels like a lot of times the mvp goes to the best player that like hasn't won it in a while or hasn't ever won it. So it kind of feels like it's going to go that direction. But I, I th- seeing what Jogic can do on a basketball court and just the, the way he's kind of transformed that Denver team and, and what he's become and kind of the way he plays the game, just his size, his skill set. It, it's hard for me to, to say there's someone in the game that's more valuable than the way he can just impact a basketball game. You talk about the passing, you talk about the, the off-balance shooting, the defense, whatever it may be, the, the the IQ that he has. I have to pick him. And, and the fact that he's got the Nuggets in the four seed and what's still been a pretty difficult West, and they're going to be a tough out for whoever they play because the West seems a lot more wide open now. So I love what he's been doing, and, and, and he gets my vote. Even though, you know, if you vote for Chris Paul, I'm all for you. know, congrats. I You have more faith than me. So here's one thing. I might have missed it if you did say it there. I think, first of all, the MVP award shouldn't be solely a regular season award because you know, you've know you noticed it this year with the conversation around... But it is. But it is. I'm, that, no, 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 that's no, no, the no. fact. No, no, no. I'm not arguing whether or not it is or not. I'm just making the argument it shouldn't be because if you look at the conversation around Giannis this year, people aren't even considering him for the MVP because they're saying, oh, well, he has to prove it in the playoffs. Well, then at that point, you're not taking into account what his regular season is. You're now taking into account what he does this upcoming postseason. So if that matters to his MVP candidacy, then this shouldn't be a regular season only award. Now, we all know finals MVPs are really what matters at the end of the day. You know, that's what we're kind of going to compare the great spies, how many finals MVPs they've won. But uh, I think when... uh, what do you disagree I, we don't look back like how many the finals mvp matters more than regular season exponentially MVP? more really yeah what do you just do you just do you just get to the finals right after you are done with the regular season that's the point you have to get to the nba finals to be able to win the finals mvp yeah, but maybe you're not the best player in the finals, but you dragged your team to like was Andre Iguodala really the best player on the Warriors in 2015? Well, that, that was that was just a travesty by the voters. That I can't control bad voting. I you I mean you can control you have the finals MVPs in front of you, so that part of the sample size that you're drawing from is the Andre Iguodala finals MVP. All right, this is fair. This is fair. I see what you're saying. I see your counterpoint, and I I'll I'll concede the point to on this if, if, one. There, if there was like a playoff mvp sure i'll give it to you but not just the finals okay fair enough fair enough i'll i think the finals mvp is kind of it, it should be a playoff mvp but i see what you're saying because you shouldn't pick a playoff mvp who doesn't win the nba finals but anyway i i digress i see your point that's a fair point I think when you look at the Chris Paul Nikola Jokic debate, it really, like you said, comes down to how do you quantify value? Do you quantify it by the pure counting numbers, which by all measures, Nikola Jokic has been the best player in the NBA this year. I care about defense a little bit more than most people, but 
you know, Jokic has been above average on defense, and I think that's enough for him to win the award because his his numbers offensively have been so historically incredible that it, it's hard to argue against him. But I think when you look at what Chris Paul has meant to the Suns year over year, I, it's hard to understate a team that went from not being able to make the play-in tournament last year in the NBA playoffs to now being the second best team in basketball. We're discussing them potentially making the the NBA finals and the only tangible difference being Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. I think that matters to his narrative. Every team he's gone to has gone from... They basically gained 20 wins by him walking onto the team. And... It, you know, his stats aren't incredibly impressive or anything, but the culture he brings with him is to me what makes him valuable. You know, he goes to Houston, they're immediately, you know, they're the only team that gave that Warriors team with Kevin Durant a run for their money, almost knocked them out of the playoffs. He goes to Oklahoma City, they're tanking, and he wills them to the playoffs just on his leadership ability alone. Now, you know, people could argue, well, that just means you're giving him an award for his career, not for this season. But I think this season is a microcosm of what he's done in his career. It's a representation of his value. And to me, that's what value is. And yeah, you could argue that, you know, without Jokic, the Nuggets wouldn't be a playoff team because Jamal Murray got hurt, blah, blah, blah. I know the Suns aren't a playoff team without Chris Paul because I saw it last season. Without Chris Paul, they just, they, in terms of statistics, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are averaging damn near the same numbers, and the team is second in the West. What's the difference? Chris Paul's the difference. And to me, that's valuable, and that means he should be the MVP. To be fair, and I said this before the show, they went undefeated in the bubble last year, sans Chris Paul. Uh, so uh, to me, the. I'm not discrediting that. I, I think Chris Paul has, has turned the Suns into into the the Western Conference, you know, contenders that they are. But the seeds were there for Booker and Aiton, and they went eight and zero in the bubble. They played great basketball. How much of that is oh, it was only eight games? You can't really read that much. But they were as hot as anybody there, and I, I'm still mad that they didn't make the playoffs. But that was that, that's an old rant that I won't get into. If there was a playing tournament, they would have made the playoffs. But you know, I digress. So the seeds were there. Devin Booker's been an All Star. You know, Aiton maybe has All Star in his career, but I, I think it's more about the role players that they're getting contributions from. Too, you think of a guy like Cam Johnson or somebody for the Suns that. Chris Paul's influence maybe is hard to measure with that, but you've got to imagine he's sitting there, you know, hey, Cam, you know, don't do this in this scenario. I mean, we've even seen it with Booker where, you know, it's in timeouts, Chris Paul armor on the shoulder, like, hey, think about this pass. Or, you know, he just has that. You So many other teams don't have that. And that's just what you get with veteran leadership. Yeah, I, I think that's the issue. And it's why Chris Paul is not going to win it. It's incredibly difficult to quantify what his value is when he's not missing games or you know, it's just that kind of thing. like when his statistics don't so clearly yell out MVP, it's so much harder to give him the award because it's not a. It, I guess that's my issue is like, don't call it the most valuable player 
if we can't take into account like some discretion in the award, if we're just going to give it to the person who had the best statistical season, stop calling it the MVP. We clearly don't care about value at that point. We care about who was the best player. And so if MVP is the best player, then yeah, Nikola Jokic has been the best player this season. It's over, cut and dry, don't even have voting. Nikola Jokic should win it unanimously. But when it comes to what their value is to their team, I think there's a lot of guys more valuable than Nikola Jokic. Like, I love Nikola Jokic, but in terms of value, he's probably like the fifth most valuable guy in the NBA. Like, Giannis is more valuable than Nikola Jokic. I think James Harden is more valuable than Nikola Jokic. I think Chris Paul is more... Did I say Chris Paul already? LeBron James is more valuable than Nikola Jokic. Chris Paul, more valuable than Nikola Jokic. Like... Uh, the one guy where I think... Embiid. What about Embiid? So here's the interesting thing. I don't think Embiid has an argument for the MVP because the team won after he got hurt. He got hurt and they went like, I think they were 7-3 and three or 8-4 and four in the time he missed. It was something like that. So if the team is winning when you're not there, you can't win the MVP award. Yeah, you're valuable to your team and they're not going to win an NBA championship without Joel Embiid. But again, that's me then taking into account postseason success, which if this is a regular season award, I'm not supposed to do. So in the regular season, when he was hurt, the team still won. So to me, that means he can't win the MVP award. That it shows that his value is not as quantifiable, is not as as high as I thought it was. They there were obviously other factors to it. So that's just my argument. I think I think we're caring too much about what the raw numbers are, and we're not using any. We're not using like our thought enough to pick who is the MVP. Like those 10 years where LeBron James was obviously the most valuable player every single year, but we weren't going to give it to LeBron James every single year. Yeah, I think we need to stand in solidarity with with the real definition of valuable, and we will not be giving a Talgo MVP until after the NBA Finals a champion has been crowned. So if you're looking for a Talgo MVP pick, uh, catch us after game whatever of the NBA Finals when insert player here from insert team is holding the Larry O'Brien. Then we'll talk. Then we'll give a valuable player. Yeah, then then we could have a conversation. I mean, the the Talgo MVP should only be crowned once the NBA playoffs have been played. Then we can really tell you who the most valuable player is. Because listen, listen, let's be honest. If the Bucks go and they win the NBA championship, can you really argue that Giannis wasn't the most valuable player to his team this year? If the Sixers no. go and win the NBA championship, Joel Embiid is obviously the most valuable player in the NBA this year. If, you know, James Harden comes out and he's clearly the engine to the Nets, well, I guess he was the most valuable player. LeBron James goes and wins the NBA title again. I guess he's the most valuable player. Like, you don't know until you know who's holding up the trophy. I have no clue who the most valuable player is until the season's over. And I go, yeah, it was probably LeBron James. Like last season, like it was clearly LeBron, but we're voting on the regular season. So you can't say, oh, well, they're going to be the, you know, we'll see by the end of the regular season or the most, or by the end of the postseason, who the most valuable player is because they don't vote it on it that way. And that's ridiculous. Tom, do you have any other thoughts on the uh, WNBA or on the NBA MVP? No, I uh, right. I, my my pick is Jokic, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll save it for the finals. Oh, my pick is also Jokic is going to win the the fake MVP award. 
but the, the one that matters MVP. the Taugo mvp we'll have to wait and see who wins that one well tom i mentioned it there for a second let's transition then to the WNBA, whose season begins on Friday. We have some preseason games going on right now, but the real regular season games start this Friday. Um, it's it's interesting. So the Seattle Storm, of course, defending WNBA champions with Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart leading that team. But some teams this offseason have made some interesting moves to try and position themselves to compete with Seattle. Chicago added Candace Parker. The Mystics get better instantly just by having Elena Deladon play this season. The New York Liberty are going to get Sabrina Ionescu back, and who knows what kind of steps she's going to be able to take forward. I mean, Phoenix is stacked over there with Brittany Griner, Skylar Diggins, and uh, Diana Taurasi. And then you never know what you're going to get from Las Vegas, who has Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson. So, Tom, let's, let's start at the top. Seattle, I think they're the favorites going into the season again. But who do you think their biggest challengers will be? Uh, real quick, I want to give a shout out to the WNBA for doing the playoffs the right way. And they just scrap conferences and they have the two best teams play in the finals, which I love because we got Vegas the versus best Seattle last year. So perfect. Yeah, the WNBA, NBA is starting to take some notes from that, but the WNBA knows what they're doing by by just letting them go free for all and just and just reseeding once they get to the playoffs. I love that. That being said, uh, Asia Wilson, problem. Liz Cambage, problem. Vegas is gonna win it this year. Uh I, I don't I don't know. I think they were close last year. I, I don't necessarily think they got better than Seattle, but you just give them another year. They've been kind of dancing for a while. I, I like them. I think I think Atlanta or Dallas, not necessarily contenders, but those are two other teams I'd throw out there as interesting ones to watch this year. So I, I, my pick is still Vegas second to team one C to beat Seattle. I'd probably go Chicago with the uh, Parker. And then of course they got Vandersloot doing her thing. So those would be my top three. If you had to, if I had to pick right now. So I, I think the fact you also met left out Ali Quigley from the mix there in Chicago. I, I think Chicago to me is one B. I think the thing they were always missing, because they're always a pretty good shooting team, and that was always what you were afraid of when you played Chicago, but they never really had that inside presence, that person who, you know, they were they were going to do the dirty work, they are going to grab the boards, you know, they could go out there, they can get 15, 20 points, and really lead your team inside if the shooting kind of went away. And I think Candace Parker adds that for them. I think Candace Parker's ability to create off the dribble, to create in the post, to be... To be that matchup against Liz Cambage or Asia Wilson, who can kind of go tit for tack, toe to toe with them, I think that's that is going to be something that we'll see the value of come playoffs, and we'll we'll see how important her signing is come then. But I also think, I think because she didn't play last year, and the team, you know, uh, to be honest, was bad, was at times unwatchable. You know, they got in there. They were they almost made the playoffs. I think they did actually make the playoffs. The Washington Mystics are going to be a problem. Not Elena Deladon is back. Um, I think when you look at the quality of their team, you know they still they still have Emma Miesemann on the team. They 
they still they, they have a lot of the pieces that won the title. You know, Natasha Cloud is still a part of that roster. They added Tina Charles, another big force in the middle of that team. I, I still think when you look at the collective sum of the team, it's going to be a team that's hard to play in the playoffs. And when you have a player like Deladon, who is either the best player in the WNBA or the second best player in the WNBA, in my opinion, it's either her or Brianna Stewart. So when you have somebody like that who can put the team on your back and lead them, you know, lead them to the promised land, if you will, the way she's kind of done the last couple times they've been in the playoffs, I, I think that's something that is going to be hard, to, again, hard to see until the playoffs come around, but she's a matchup nightmare for damn near every team in the league except Seattle. And so I, I think the Mystics are another team they're a sleeper. Someone, someone to kind of watch out for. Yeah, a couple other ones that we brought up. I think New York. They still feel like they're a couple years away. Uh, they got Sabrina. Obviously, I think she. You know, it, it's hard to say with kind of like the incomplete season last year how they're gonna how they're gonna react. But I think they're gonna be interesting to watch. And then Ari McDonald with Atlanta. Fun fact: This one's from my cousin. They. Uh, Lost their head coach to Baylor a week and a half before the season. I feel like people don't talk about that and that'd be a bigger storyline if it was somewhere else. But to have your head coach leave and go coach a college team less than two weeks before the season opener, that is a development. I thought even Kim Mulkey leaving Baylor was a little strange. I know she said LSU was her dream job. She was only going to leave that. But Ari McDonald, you know, you get the the star of the tournament, really, in, in – uh, in uh, the women's tournament last year, obviously they go, they lose to Stanford in the in the championship game. But I feel like rookies are more instant impact in the WNBA, and I, and I think Ari McDonald could be someone who kind of takes the league by storm. And Atlanta could definitely be a team to watch out for. So I think there, it's one of those. Again, we've talked about this before. There are so few teams that it kind of feels like there there are reasons to like everybody. Like there aren't any teams that I think of that oh they don't have any shot this year. Like that's what's so great about it is there are so many contenders. Well, I also think, though, in the same vein, because there's so few teams, there's kind of, if you have the best player, you are you instantly have a leg up on everybody else because people are going to want to play for that team and that player. It's why Seattle's in the position they're in, right? When you have Brianna Stewart, who right now in the world is the most decorated basketball player on planet Earth not close I think it's hard to compete with them and what they're able to do on the court because literally nobody can guard her she gets to her spots at will and it's helped out by the fact that she has Sue Bird playing next to her who can get her the ball at a moment's notice whenever she wants I just think like it feels like to me I know we talked about the other contenders it feels to me like it's Seattle and then it's everybody else. No matter who your team has, you're going to have to go toe-to-toe with Brianna Stewart in the playoff series. And you saw it last year with the Aces. They had the talent to do it and still felt outmanned at every turn because Seattle had Brianna Stewart, who was just unstoppable. What wins championships, Mr. Arroyo? What wins championships? Well, people claim it's defense, but the correct answer is offense. I'm going to go with the people on this one for the sake of my argument. Uh, they lose Natasha Howard, Seattle, who was arguably their best perimeter defender last year. So uh, when 
when Asia's dropping 40 in the WNBA finals and Liz Cambage is, is mad at the Australian Olympic Committee for not being diverse enough, which great on her, by the way, she might not play in the Olympics. I love that. A, because it's a great reason to boycott an Olympics that are going to kind of suck because they don't have any international fans. And B, you just get to call out people in power. And it's probably run by a bunch of white dudes. So yeah, get them out of there. Get the Australian Olympic Committee out of here. I saw the article... At first, this is kind of a sidebar that's irrelevant, and I thought it was funny, but it's like Cambage blasts AOC, and I was like, what What beef does she have against Ocasio-Cortez? I was like, what did she say? And then it's like Australian Olympic Committee. I was like, oh, okay. All right, that makes more sense. But, uh, I mean, mean Liz Cambage, Asia Wilson against a team without its best perimeter defender could be problems. Give me the aces. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair argument, especially – you know, I think that's part of the reason people are talking about New York in the way they are, because adding Natasha Howard to that team, and uh, they added another veteran whose name uh, I truthfully can't say. I just her first had it name. up. It's, uh... yeah, it's Lainey is her last name. I just have never been able to say her first name because I've only ever seen it written. I've never heard it said. But I think when you add the the veteran talent to that team, the question isn't whether or not they can win an MB- a WNBA title because I think they're. They're a couple years away from that. No matter how good Ionescu is, she's not going to be so good that you're going to be able to compete with Brianna Stewart, Elena Deladon, Asia Wilson, you know, those kinds of, those cal- that caliber of player. But I think, you know, adding the veteran leadership starts to push them in that direction. They're probably a playoff team. Also have the cleanest jerseys in the entire WNBA. And I'm excited to oh, see... Yeah what they become because if they're run correctly i'm pretty sure they're owned by the same guy who owns the brooklyn nets not don't quote me on that but i'm like 90 percent sure on that one uh, they play it uh, they play at barclays too don't they so that would make sense yeah and so i think as long as they continue to have leadership that is pushing them in the right direction and is putting the money necessary putting up the money necessary to field a championship contender i think it's only a matter of time before they're right there with all the other teams you think of as, you know, chance to win the WNBA title. Yeah, it's going to be fun. New York basketball is in a good spot now, and I did not think I'd be saying that five years ago, but here we are. So that's good. Phoenix basketball as well. How about that? You know, maybe the two best basketball cities in America right now. Oh, why? Because of the Mercury? And the Suns. I understand that, but uh, I don't know. I like the Suns, but like the Suns aren't going to win the NBA title. I really, it would be cool if they made the finals. I just, I don't see. It. I'm not seeing it from the Suns. I think they're a fun story. Who's not going to be able to win the title? Which, to go back a segment, poo poos my entire Chris Paul argument. But that is not the point I'm trying to make here. I'm just trying to say I don't think they're going to win the. They're gonna, you know, arguments are only arguments are only attached to that segment. You're allowed to think whatever else you want later in the show. Listen, my takes are not my takes are not linear. All right, my takes are uh, they're they're a snapshot of how I'm feeling in that moment. It's much like my Twitter, you know, they're a snapshot of how I'm feeling in that ten minutes after I tweeted that. But don't don't take that to mean it's how I feel long term, because you know takes change. I'm always cooking up a new take, Tom. Oh, all right, here we go. All right, so uh, all right, let's go. Uh, you want to go top four uh, WNBA finals, then then champion? You want to go with that? That works with me. Yeah, yeah, if you had to ask me right now who the top four teams that WNBA are next season, 
I would say Seattle number one. I think I made that pretty clear. I just, even without Natasha Howard, I just, I don't see a scenario where they're not the best team in basketball in the WNBA next season. I'm going to go Phoenix number two. I didn't mention them somehow in all of this, other than to say that they have maybe the best big three of any team in the WNBA, potentially in basketball. I think we've kind of been waiting for Brittany Griner to, to be, how do I describe this? To be, she's always been a force, but like to be a leader and be like a vocal, strong leader. I don't think she has to necessarily do that with both Diggins Smith and Tarasi on the team. I think they can let her just be the menace that she is. And I think she matches up really well with a lot of the, the players they'd have to play throughout the season. And Phoenix has underperformed the last couple of years. So next year is kind of, I feel like a do or die for that group of players that they have there. It's like, it's put it together now or it's time to move on. So I'm going to go Phoenix number two. I'm going to go Vegas number three. Again, big fan of Vegas. And then I'm torn... Um, my heart says the Mystics are the fourth best team. My head says the Sky are the fourth best team. So, of course, I'm going to go with my heart and say it's the Mystics as the fourth best team. So, those are my top four. I'm going to go Seattle, Phoenix, uh, the Aces, and the Mystics. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close, I think. All you said about Seattle, all that they return, it, it's hard not to see that transition to regular season success and and just kind of mowing through it. I like them one. I'm really high on Vegas. I think they're just another year growing together. I think they've they've kind they were better last year than the year before. I expect them to make a jump again this year. So I'm gonna go with them too. I like Phoenix in the three spot, and then I'm gonna go with your head, and I'll take Chicago at four. But uh, how about this? How about a little upset? in the WNBA semifinals. If the, if those are the final four, I'm going to take Chicago and Vegas to get to the finals, and I'm going to take Vegas to win it all. So there you go. That's my that's my early prediction. No Seattle in the finals. Upset early. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be... I think we're getting a rematch of last year's WNBA finals. I think it's going to be Seattle and the Aces again. If you had to ask me right now, gun to my head... I refuse to pick against Brianna Stewart. There, this this woman goes to leagues across the world and just picks up hardware. She walks onto the court and says, "Oh, look, you have a trophy to win. That's mine now. Thank you very much. I appreciate the new hardware for my trophy room." I mean, she has to have the most impressive trophy room in the country. Like, who has a better trophy room than her? Michael Jordan doesn't have a better trophy room than Brianna Stewart does. I mean, what, she has three national championships or does she have four national championships? I don't remember because I'm pretty sure. I it's, think it's only three. I think either, it's right. only three. I don't want to slander her and be wrong. So you might want to look that up for us while we're doing this. But she won multiple national championships. She's already won multiple WNBA championships. She's won multiple EuroLeague titles. She's won multiple... I think she plays in Russia, Russian league titles. She's run multiple EuroLeague MVPs, multiple WNBA MVPs, multiple turn- best player in the tournament awards. I mean, all she does is pick up hardware. And I can only She's Im- 26. 26. I can only imagine. Here we go. They, they did they did win four. They did win four championships. You were right for the record. I thought they lost one of those years, but I I had her timing off. I thought she was there the next year. Four national championships. So that I I just uh, one out, most outstanding player every year, um, All NBA first team twice, 
Um, WNBA. Two-time All-Star. Uh, rookie of the Year. Yeah, uh, WNBA, sorry. Uh, two-time Finals MVP, obviously, which to you is the most important trophy on there. Easily. Uh, and then, yeah, what else we got? Three-time USA Basketball Athlete of the Year. How about that? Oh, my God. Even in 2011? I mean, come on. Just stop it. So she, she was picking up hardware, like, at 16, 17. So, come on. Just... She's just a walking. She's a walking trophy case. You're right. I don't know how I'm. She's a metal to... detector. She's a metal detector. She just walks by, and the trophy just attaches to her. I, I the the thing is right in a sport where having the best player matters so much. I don't know how I could pick against Seattle when you again. I think Brianna Stewart is so impressive. She is. I, I think the argument for. Best WNBA player of all time right now is between Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. It's one of those two. Brianna Stewart's like three years away from being the best WNBA player of all time. She's already like, in terms of pure talent on a basketball card, is already better than both of them. And again, she just doesn't know how to lose. I I don't understand. She shows up to teams and wins championships. It's all she does. Doesn't matter who you put around her. Doesn't matter what else is going on. She's going to hit the big shots. She's going to be the best player. And it's absurd. And now she's getting married, just adding adding more, uh, we'll call it hardware, because I guess rings are another form of hardware, adding more hardware to, to the mantle. I, she's, she's incredible. And again, I will not, not pick against her as all she is playing, because the one year she didn't play, they didn't win the title. So... That's that's all I'm saying. Mr. Arroyo, we have nothing to draw on in life, if not the past. The Houston Comets won the first four WNBA championships. The Los Angeles Sparks, let me check my notes real quick, won the next two WNBA championships. That brings us to the year of our Lord 2002, correct? Correct. There, my friend, have been zero repeat champions since 2002 that trend continues i'm a man of the history books so give me a new champion this year it's time we bring las vegas its first ever professional sports championship let's do it i think it would be really cool if vegas won like that if a team other than seattle doesn't win it because i think they're going to win it and if 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 the mystics can't win it which is who i want to win it then, yeah, I, I think Vegas would be the coolest story of a team to win it because I just think that team and everything they've been able to accomplish with the team they've been able to build there is wildly impressive. And also, let's not sleep, really clean uniforms. I mean, that black and red oh, yeah. on almost any uniform is clean. Aces, too? Great name. Great name. Way better than the Golden Knights. Let's Let's talk about it. That's tough. Well, I mean, the, the, like, you got to do something cards related, right? Or like something gambling related. And like, the, the Aces took the only good name that you could do. So the Golden Knights are like, what do we do now? Listen, if we're ranking names in the city of Las Vegas, it of course goes Aces, Golden Knights, and then the Raiders. The Raiders somehow the worst well, I'd name. go Raiders ahead of the Knights. Come on, I'd go oh. Raiders first. I don't know. It just. It but like, if you're not the aces, like, what are you gonna be? Like the bail bonds? Like, what's your next best option? Ah, uh, that would be amazing. Why? <laughs> why can't we go the Las Vegas bail bonds? I'm like, are they looking for a baseball team? That sounds like a Bears great baseball vibes, team yeah. name. Come on, Chico's like, this, bail this bonds, is a, bad news bears. Yeah. 
How much money does it cost to be an expansion franchise in baseball? And how do you and I come up with that money to create the Las Vegas bail bonds? Uh, throw all your money on the aces to win the championship. That's a start. Boom. No, here we go. Put my entire savings. <laughs> throw, some go- throw some golf bets out there. Uh, well, Tom, we're coming here to the end of the show. I had two other things for us to talk about. I only really want to talk about one of them. It's more just a shout out to DK Metcalf running, a, I think it was a 10-3-7 today in the 100 meter dash. He was trying to qualify for the Olympics. He didn't. But running a 10-3-7 as a guy who literally just stepped off the football field to run a 100 yard 100 meter dash is wildly impressive. I just wanted to give him a shout out here on the show. What was he like 6'5", 260, somewhere around there? Like He's massive. Uh, I feel like I feel like a lot of times we we have these talks about like oh if if X player played another sport like you know the one that comes to mind is like LeBron football like it was cool to see a, a star athlete like do something in another sport and like compete well so which to me just translates to like athleticism is athleticism so it was fun to watch and I think you know good on him good on him for for trying that and uh, it was cool to see and ten three seven like that's probably. 10-3-7 faster than I would run one. So, shout out DK. Honestly, like, it added fuel to the fire for me of let's see DK Metcalf and Tyree Kill run the 100-meter dash against each other. Like, I, I would want I want to see that because I think Tyree Kill, like, he has run officially, like, the 100-meter dash, and we know how fast he is. Like, he, if I'm not mistaken, he is has qualified for the Olympics before, as a hundred meter runner or like just missed out on qualifying. So he's closer than Metcalf, but Metcalf also seemed like, like there were things about the way he runs that like with a little bit more training, he could have run a better time. Yeah. I'm not like a huge track guy, but it was cool to see like, you know, typical runners build and then just bulky DK Metcalf and then another skinny runner guy. It was funny. He looked like if he wanted to win, he could have just grabbed the runner next to him, thrown him to his right, and knocked out all the other competition like pin, like bowling pins, and he would have been good. He would have won. All right, Tom. Well, that brings us to the end of another edition of There's a Lot Going On. A uh, couple things before we get to our normal shout-outs and you know, final thoughts. First of all, shout-out to Daniel, my younger brother, Today is his 14th birthday. We went to the Sixers game yesterday. Of course, solid dub. The Sixers can't lose. I think they've won seven or eight straight. I'm almost positive it's eight, but don't quote me on that. So Sixers won another one, and we catch the dub on the birthday. Uh, Secondly, special shout-out to my mother, who gave a five-star rating on the podcast. It's, of course, Mother's Day. She threw a five-star rating on the podcast the other day so first of all happy mother's day to all the moms out there but also shout out to my mom who i'm not coming at your mom tom but has now taken a lead in the in the there's a lot going on uh mother standings i, I don't know the power rank it's looking like mama royal one mama shives two i mean i'm not trying to slander her but has mama shives thrown a rating up there yet I mean, we might have to talk to her about this I don't know, man. Uh, this is what I will say about Mama Shives. You know, wonderful weekend. Went for a little bike ride today. Um, had some. Had a nice Flex. lunch. Uh, we. Uh, she. Yeah, I rode a bike today. What's up? Um, she. She's acting, so she's got a. She's got a play coming up, so she was a little busy. But uh, so like the hustle comes first. I get it. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. The show's in June. I'm. Uh, I'm going. If you want tickets, let me know. Uh, we can do a Talgo giveaway for tickets. There we go. 
get the people down here. But uh, she's not left a review yet. Uh, happy Mother's Day, though, to her, of course. Happy Happy Mother's Day to the Talgo mother, Brandon Pelter, of course, as well. And, uh, you know, just a lot of great people. So always a day worth celebrating. And mothers are worth celebrating every day. So Anne Shively's doing great. Uh, she will be number one soon enough. She's always number one in Tom Shively's Talgo mother's rankings. No disrespect to Miss Arroyo, but... She's always number one to me, and that's what matters. So listen, if she wasn't number one to you, we'd we'd have to. If she wasn't number one to you, we'd have to start slandering you. So we'd have to have a a long, long conversation here at the end of the podcast about how she should be number one in your power rankings. Uh, But no, all jokes aside, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, including the ones that support this show constantly and consistently you guys know who you are i don't need to shout you out you you're always throwing love to uh you, both your children and you know the the friends of your children let's let's i guess say it that way i don't know another good way to say it but it's basically like you know all are ah you get it tom i don't need to explain it to the people tom do you have any final thoughts let's let's get me off the mic uh my final thought i mean i'm just gonna get right to it i think in honor of the 14th birthday for Daniel. The Sixers should win 14 playoff games this year and uh, lose 4-2 to in the finals. So, let's go. The Sixers slander starting. Let's party. Tom, I want to put I'm going to put you on the edge of the pit in 300 and just kick you into it as you and the Celtics struggle to make the playoffs as a play-in team. It's going to be beautiful, you know. You'll I'll be standing there on Broad Street celebrating another championship and you will be sitting at home as the Celtics are eliminated from the play-in tournament. It just is what it is. Look, man, uh, you know, we, we, we joked about hanging the banner when they win the play-in tournament, but let's make it happen. Let's make Celtics play-in champions, assuming they, you know, who knows, they could lose to the Hornets and then lose to the Wizards, which honestly is probably going to happen, but... I'm ready. I'm ready to. I'm ready to print the playing champion shirts, and I'm ready for you to be all team Celtics when they play the Nets in the first round. I'm ready for you to be all in on the Nets slander. Listen, I, I've been on the Nets slander all year. It's not. It, does it just because I'm slandering the Nets doesn't mean I can't slander the incompetency of Danny Ainge? They, they're not mutually exclusive activities for me. Is that the? Is that like the perfect Arroyo slander series? Is that Nets? Nets Celtics? Oh, I don't lose because the Celtics the Celtics lose, all I do is make fun of Danny Ainge. If the Nets lose, I'm cruising to an NBA championship. Potentially. Potentially. The Bucks are a threat. The if I haven't said this on the podcast and I was saving this for next week, but let me just say it real quick as my final thought. The biggest threat to the 76ers in the East, in terms of like from a fan perspective, the biggest threat to them in the East is not the Nets, it's the Bucs, and it's not even close because the Bucs actually play defense, unlike the Brooklyn Nets. So I, I'm concerned about a potential Milwaukee Bucks playoff series. We'll say that, but luckily they wouldn't have to play until the conference finals. Well, Tom, that brings us to the end of another show. And you know what the people need to do they need to go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Uh, If you have any suggestions for things we should talk about on the show, make sure you leave them there. We will be sure to check it out and talk about it on the show. Be sure to also follow us on iTunes. It's no longer subscribe because apparently subscribe makes it sound like you have to pay for it. So make sure you go on to iTunes and follow us on our podcast page. And we'll be back here next week for another edition of There's a Lot Going On.